0: Ephesians chapter 3. We pick back up in this um, second prayer of the Apostle Paul in this epistle. If you were not with us last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to uh, that message um, from that morning. As we're piggybacking off of that teaching... Um, I expect the remainder of this chapter to take us uh, three more weeks. Um, I thought I would be going a lot faster, but um, I just, I can't skip over these verses any faster. I don't want to bore you and dwell on them too long, but if you think I'm going too um, slow, then I'd like to point my finger at Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who spent... He's been called uh, the greatest preacher of the 20th century. He spent 17 sermons on these few verses. Um, so, allow me three, if you will. He later said, went on to say, and he devoted most of his teaching, a lot of his teaching to the a, a book of Ephesians. Um, I forget how many sermons it was, over 200 on the book alone. Um, but he, he said um, that he could not recall any other scripture in his preaching ministry where he was so conscious of his own inadequacy and and inability as this one. And so we're going to take them. I don't want to rush through them, but um, this prayer is certainly jam-packed. Let's uh, read this morning, starting in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power, through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We pick up at verse 16. We started again this prayer last week. It says, that He would grant you. What is it that we are being granted, you may ask? Well, my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus All your needs, not your wants. That He would grant to us according to those blessings that we have in Christ Jesus, according to the riches of His glory. How rich is God the Father? Well, I reckon He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And If you're not sure how much a cattle on a thousand different hills is worth, it's worth a whole lot. He's Creator God. He made it all. He purchased you with the price of His very Son. I want you to understand and note here, you can turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, that whatever God grants to you comes according to the riches of His glory. We went spent quite a bit of time on the riches of his glory in chapter one, and I don't feel necessary to expound upon that again, but I want to read that verse that says, "I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? In short, all that we have in heaven and on earth comes from faith in Christ Jesus, because of God's unmerited favor, Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. What specific blessings does Paul here in Ephesians 3 pray that we would receive? Well, depending on who you would ask, there are two, three, or even four different things that he is praying for, and that is because the grammatical construction of these verses leaves it open to interpretation. What is clear, though, is that first he prays that we would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. Strengthened with power through His Spirit. Oh boy. Strengthened with power through His Spirit. Woo! Is it just me? Now there's four different words for strength, power, and might that we find in Greek. And you can find all four of those words in the very same verse of chapter 1, verse 19. But by way of refresher... Kratuo is to be made strong. It's a derivative of the Greek word kratos, which is God's absolute and sovereign dominion, supremacy, and force. So we are being strengthened, we are being granted or being made strong in God's absolute, sovereign dominion, supremacy, and force. I'll give you an example from somewhere else. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Mighty hand of God is that same word strengthening. Paul's praying. It's really talking about God's dominion and might. And he's saying, I want you to be participants of God's might. Dunamis, on the other hand, is the word as it's translated in the New American Standard, with power. It's where we get our English word dynamite, explosive power. I like to define it this way or have in the past. It's God's intrinsic power which he loans to us to accomplish his good. Dunamis. God's intrinsic power which he loans to us to accomplish his good. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things Through him who dynamites me, through him who loans me that power to do all of his will, I can do all things. So here Paul is saying that God's loaned absolute and sovereign dominion and power would be made manifest in the believer through the Holy Spirit so that you could accomplish his will. That's what it means to be strengthened with power in the Holy Spirit that God's loaned absolute, sovereign dominion and power would be made manifest in us because of the Holy Spirit living in us. I don't know if that excites you or not, but that's a tall order worthy of praise, if you would ask me. It's not because we're good. It's not because we deserve it. It's simply because he wants to extend his love to the ends of the earth that all might be saved and come to the knowledge of him, that he may be glorified. He says, I'm going to use this sinful person that is now redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, my own son that I gave to die, I'm going to use that person, Eric, and give him my power and strength and dominion and sovereignty so that he may extend my kingdom and domain on earth as it is in heaven that all would come. True, true knowledge of my son, Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be strengthened with power through his spirit. While your mind is digesting what the inner man wants you to know, consider these verses. Luke ten nineteen says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, that's dunamis, and nothing will injure you. Mark five thirty says, immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, that's dunamis, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garment? Luke 9 1, and he called the 12 together and he gave them dunamis, power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And it was this power that was a condition of Jesus before he would allow his followers to begin their ministry. What are you talking about, Pastor? Luke 24, 49 says, I am sending forth the promise of my Son upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He said, you can't fulfill my commission unless you get, are given, unless you're granted the dunamis through the Holy Spirit. And why is it that we act like we don't need the Holy Spirit's power today to accomplish His will? I, have heard, I will never understand. It was the same power that Peter says, as he was preaching to them in Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39, that it was given to all that would believe, for as many are far off. It's the dunamis. Paul is praying that we would be strengthened with the mighty power, the dunamis of God, that we could accomplish His will. See, it's not so that you can puff yourself up. It's not so that you can do great miracles and become famous, have a TV ministry, So that his kingdom would expand through Blacksburg to Christiansburg, Pulaski, and Giles, that the New River Valley would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of him. That's why we need to be strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. I'd like to read a quote from a 19th century preacher, Alexander McLaren. Quote, I do not know what Christianity means unless it means that you and I are forgiven for a purpose. That the purpose, if I may so say, is something in advance of the means towards the purpose. The purpose being that we should be filled with all the strength and righteousness and supernatural life granted to us by the Spirit of God. Wheresoever in the early histories we read of a man who was full of the Holy Ghost we read that he was full of power. According to the teaching of this apostle, God hath given us the spirit of power, which is also the spirit of love and a sound mind. So the strength that we must have, if we have strength at all, is the strength of a divine spirit, not our own, that dwells in us and works through us. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Where is that spirit? In the inner man. Jameson Fawcett Brown's Bible commentary states that the Greek implies infused into. In other words, his power becomes an extension of us. He wants to infuse your spirit with that dominion and sovereignty and power he's loaning to you for his own good. It's not your power. It's God's power He's infusing into your spirit man because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Once again, Paul is not talking about this dramatic one-time experience, but rather an ongoing experience of God's power to change our hearts as we walk in the Spirit each and every day, which ultimately results in Christ taking up residence in us in this deeper, more conscious way than we even experienced at conversion. It's abiding in Him that He may abide in us I want you to note that these blessings that we have in Christ are only available to the believer. Paul is praying this over the Ephesian believers. He's not praying these over the converts. He's praying them over the inner man, the reborn man, the one who has his soul renewed by the grace of God. Now, perhaps you've been wondering, why on earth do we need the Spirit of God, the power of the Spirit? Well, I'm sure we could list off many reasons. I've given you a few as we've glossed over this a little bit this morning. But what I get from this verse and the implications of this passage is I'm going to give you three things real quickly. Number one, we need the Spirit's power to accomplish things bigger than what we are capable of. That we may, number one, rely on God to accomplish His good. Because any moment you think you can do anything here on earth for God... you've pushed God out. God wants us to dream dreams bigger than we can even imagine so that we rely on Him. If your vision for this church is something that you think you can help along, if your vision for this church is something that you have a hand in, then you're not dreaming big enough. God wants us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish His church, to accomplish His will to build up the church. The Lord does not labor, then we are building a false house. God is the one who is to labor. We must rely on him. Jesus plainly stated in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can what? Apart from Christ dwelling inside of us, you can accomplish nothing for his kingdom. And that's not just talking about believing in me. He didn't say, if you don't believe in me, you'll accomplish nothing. He said, if, if I'm not abiding in your very being, if you're not abiding in me, if you're not partaking of that same vine, I'm the root that's watering you and giving the power, the Holy Spirit wants to, to come and work through you, then you're doing no good at all. You might as well not even be a part of the vine. You can't produce grapes. We must abide in Him. We need the Spirit's power to accomplish things bigger than what we are capable of. We are totally dependent on Christ, on the Holy Spirit, although we often forget this, as is seen by our prayerlessness. If God withdrew his spirit from you, how long would it be before you noticed? Number two, we need the spirit's power because we never outgrow beyond our need for his strength. Do you know that no one is born into God's family as a mature adult? Not even as a teenager. We all start out as babes. Longing for milk, the pure milk of the Word. And as you know, babies are totally dependent on their parents for everything. But spiritually speaking, when we mature, we do not outgrow the need for the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could almost argue the opposite, is that we need more and more of the Spirit as we mature. We recognize our total dependence on Him. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you've memorized, how many verses you can quote doesn't matter how many commentaries you read throughout the week or how much worship music you have playing on at your house. As you mature, we never outgrow the need from the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Hudson Taylor said that when God decided to open inland China to the gospel, he looked around to find a man weak enough for the task. Quote, all God's giants have been weak men Who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. That's Warren Wearsby citing about Hudson Taylor. It's not the mighty men on earth that God uses, it's those that recognize they're frail enough that they can rely on the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we need the power of the Spirit because it changes our inner character. You may be able to change your outward appearance through various techniques or methods. You can go to counseling sessions. You can go to retreats. You can do all sorts of fancy things to make yourself look good on the outside, right? Ooh, I'm in prayer meetings 7 days a week. Ooh, God's using me, brother. Speak for yourself. But if God does not change your heart, you are merely learning to be a better hypocrite. See, the Pharisees looked good on the outside, but Jesus said it was the inside. They were full of or they were full of lawlessness and uncleanness. Genuine Christ- Christianity is not just a moral improvement program. Oh, we are "quote unquote" Christian nation. Oh yeah, how so? Because we have good morals. Afraid not. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you allowed the Holy Spirit to come inside and take up residence in with you, within you that you can do mighty deeds and powerful things for God Almighty? Has your life changed from the inside out? You no longer do the things that you used to. See, God is in the business of changing hearts, He's changing our motives, our attitudes, and our desires. For that kind of interchange I reckon that we need nothing less than the power of the Holy Spirit for only he can make our hearts the kind of place where Jesus is pleased to dwell Stop with one more verse Why does he pray that we be strengthened with power through his Spirit? Well, again, depending on the construction of the sentence, it appears to me that we are to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that, In other words, there's a requisite here. You know, it's, it's clear that the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer, Galatians 2.20. That is, if Christ does not live in you, then you are no, not a Christian no matter how religious you are many times you've been to church, Romans chapter 8 verse 9, but Paul is writing to Christians and the Holy Spirit indwells believers already, then why on earth would Paul be praying that they would that Christ may dwell in their hearts? Because I believe he's talking about something more than Christ indwelling us at the point of salvation. I believe he's talking about something Something much deeper. He's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about welcoming in the Holy Spirit to reside in us, to make His habitation among us, that we may be intimately and continually filled and possessed by Him, not only in our heads, but also in our affections. John Calvin says that it is not enough that He be in our tongue or flit through the brain. The heart is the proper seat of Christ. I should point out that God does not come into our hearts as a guest. He is a rightful owner. He bought us with his blood. Who owns the house? Who made the mortgage payments? You might think you own that house. The bank holds the deed, don't they? He is merely taking possession of what is rightfully his. Now you'll often hear evangelists asking, have you invited Christ into your hearts? But it may surprise you to learn that this is the only text in the New Testament that uses this sort of imagery. It refers to Christ dwelling in the hearts of those that were already believers. In other words, this is not an evangelistic verse. It's biblical. Jesus tells us to abide in Him and He in us, John fourteen twenty three, John 15, 1 through 5 in particular, and I would go there if we had more time. You're probably familiar with the verse. I already quoted one of them, abiding in Him. But this is written to those that were already saved. So when we're talking about inviting Jesus into our hearts, it's really something much deeper than praying a prayer of salvation. Salvation is not something that happens by some magic formula, prayer, as I have often said here. Prayer is confession of our sins and belief in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. You can do that in your mind if you want. Now, I'm all for a public appearance. I believe we all need to be baptized. I'm all for raising your hand and coming down to the front and having an altar call between you and the Lord. Why? Most importantly, I believe this, it changes your commitment and it weeds out those that are not serious from those that genuinely want to see God the Father. That said, you can pray on your own in your quiet room, reading a prayer off of the computer and following somebody, and it's just as authentic as a salvation as anybody who comes down to the front altar. God looks at the heart. But for those that are saying, next time you hear it, have you invited Jesus into your heart? You say, ah, but I still am daily. Daily I'm asking Jesus to take up residence within me because that's the context of it. This is the verse in which it comes from. Now Paul uses, he's referring to a permanent indwelling or residence of Christ in the heart. And I believe the intent is that we should welcome Christ into every aspect of our lives for all time. Perhaps no one has um, described this more eloquently than Robert Munger and his little booklet, My, Cro- My Heart, Christ's Home by InterVarsity Press. I know you ladies have gone through some of that before I think with Brittany, but he tells of how Christ enters in this heart and there's this analogy of it, and I wish I had little booklets to give out today, but I, I didn't get them in time, but um, you can look it up. And this, this is this newfound relationship, it's uh, an analogy of salvation, and Munger says, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around and introduce you to the various features of the home so that you may be more comfortable and that we may have fuller fellowship together. And he took Christ into the study, which represents, you know, this library room. It's the, the seat of the mind and the knowledge, and he shows them all the books. And Jesus helps clean up some things that shouldn't be there, some books and magazines and some shameful pictures on the wall, and they, they move into the dining room, which represents the earthly affairs And of rather than doing the will of God, our food should be due to do the will of God, right? So uh, feeding yourself on the things that really matter in the long run. And then they moved into the drawing room or the sitting room, and there was a fireplace and, and chairs and, and a bookcase and And they all agreed to meet there, both of them agreed to meet every morning. And as time went on, he began to see, you know, Jesus was there and he noticed that he was meeting on his own. He had gotten up every morning faithfully, but he was in a hurry and left the house for the day. And he says, Master, have you been here all these mornings? Yes, said the Lord. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. The Lord went on to explain the problem was that he viewed the quiet time as a means for his own spiritual progress rather than a time to meet in fellowship with the living Lord. So Jesus sat there by himself. They moved on to the workshop. The Lord showed him how he could work through him to produce good works. The playroom where there were certain friendships and activities that were not comfortable. He was not comfortable inviting the the Lord to. But he realized ultimately that he would have no joy unless the Lord remodeled that house or that room as well. He thought he was all done. And the Lord one day said, what's that smell? There's a smell in the closet. He thought he could get by without showing him the closet. Why would Jesus need the closet? And there was an odor coming from it. Ultimately, we must give God our entire house. We must give him our entire being. Let him completely take over. We must give him the key even the things that you're embarrassed of, that you're holding on to, you want to live your own life, Jesus beckons, I can do more good with you if you turn it all over to me. This is how God works in our hearts. He wants to remove room to room until every area of our lives is suitable for his habitation. So often we get in the way. We, don't, we, th- we think we want to have Christ abide in us but we don't fully know what that looks like. There's so many things that are not of Christ, and Paul here is praying that we would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. We need the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us so that Christ can take up residence within us. And here's the picture I want us to understand and leave as we walk away with today. Jesus desires each and every one of us, our hearts, our entire beings. But until we get on our knees as Paul prayed and ask the Father that we would be strengthened with his might, I think we're missing out on the exact opportunity that we have of abiding in the vine with Christ Jesus.